year after year we come to this time and it is still not without controversy, the death and resurrection of Jesus. There is just enough of an edge that makes you want to come to church or, or think about or question or, gosh, what's going on here? What's happening? Uh, what has happened? What, what is it in our lives that is happening? And so the question is really straightforward this morning. Where is your relationship with Jesus today? Where is your relationship with Jesus right now? Uh, more than once a year we should ask this question. And yet, we shouldn't miss asking it this morning. I was reminded uh, in, a, in a local Good Friday service uh, one of, the, one of the pastors said that, you know, you get several chances at birth, but you only get one death. <laughs> wow. Think about that for a minute. So it might cause us to think. The question's important because the state of our relationship determines our response this morning. We're asking the question, where's my relationship? And the state of that relationship moves you somehow. Easter can be a family or a church tradition. It's just something you do every spring. It's something you got invited to. It may be something you got court ordered to. Uh, uh, you know, maybe I just feel like I need something. Maybe I need to do something. A wide variety, depending on what our real relationship to Jesus is. And you see, life in Christ is a journey. It's not a destination. It's a growth process. It's a transformation. It's not just a, a one-time decision that I made in church or, or Sunday school or camp or, or maybe at home with my parents, but it's much larger than that. And it isn't far off the mark that the metamorphosis of a caterpillar to a butterfly has been associated with Easter so much. But how many times do we think as we ask this very important question, am I really a butterfly or am I just a worm with wings on it? You see, we don't get all the transformation all at once. But where are we? And, and how important is this? And, and, it, and obviously very important. We see this journey played out in the women who come to the tomb, and especially Mary Magdalene, as Mark has chosen to reveal it in the 16th chapter, the last uh, chapter of his gospel. And so there are four responses that we will see in this gospel, and Lest we forget, or need we be reminded, gospel means good news. So in this tale that, that is difficult to maneuver, this is good news that we talk about. So response number one is, is simply this, too sad to be considered. Let me read for you. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome, brought spices so that they might anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked one another, who will roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb? 
deep in sorrow and sadness and grief. They are a funeral march on an impossible task under the conditions. And it doesn't even dawn on them until they, they're almost there. Well, who's going to roll that away? Who, who's going to open that up for us? And in their sadness, and in, in the stark reality of Good Friday, and everything that happened there, there, there was a kind of spiritual amnesia that took place. There was something that just blocked the fact that even the women heard Jesus' teaching that started about halfway back in the gospel. And I would just remind you that at Peter's confession in chapter 8, verse 31, when he said, you are the Lord, Jesus then said, yes the one who will die and raise for your sins. And on their way to Jerusalem, as they made their way through Jericho chapter 10, again, Jesus reminded them of where they were going and why. Palm Sunday, as we saw last week, he showed them the way in which this was going to end up. His teaching in the temple, the parables that, that talked about the coming of one that would be handled but would come back. The anointing in Bethany, chapter 14, where Mary anoints Jesus and he says, she's anointed me for my death. Each step of the way. The Last Supper, also reminds us that, that these things, while we know them, somehow become an enigma to us every year at this time. We don't think of the women as not having paid attention. It's our own spiritual amnesia that we're being pointed to here. We're just like them. We're in the same place. The second response is too confusing to make sense. But when they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Wow, what a picture. It's almost as if, I love how Mark draws this out. Obviously, this is an angel. You know, I'm thinking, you know, some, you know, some guy in a bathrobe here by the explanation. I think it's intentional to say they were, they were witless by surprise. And they weren't quite sure what to do with it. Even the explanation seems strange. You need no reminder to this, but it is nonetheless true and it has far-reaching implications that emotion can cloud observation. They were all on emotional overload. Right now, all they can think of is the low, low, low of the death of Jesus combined with the height of an angel's appearance Nobody, the stone is rolled away. It's almost as if they could think of the next thing they needed. God was just one step ahead of them, but on emotional overload. 
So without trying to be too boxy about this, let me just say that we have two ways of processing and, and dealing with our approach to decision-making and, and our observance of events, circumstances, or situations. A would be to, um, to begin with our feelings and how we feel. And, and that with those feelings, we would lay alongside that the facts. And then once we've entertained the facts, then we would invite our faith to help us to, to work with the situation. That's one way of processing. The other way of processing is quite a bit different, but seems the same. It starts with faith, and through the lens of faith, looks at facts, and then allows the, the, the feelings to work into that. So you see, the first way of thinking, if we start with feelings, that is most likely going to distort the facts and eliminate faith altogether. So if you're one of those feelings on your shirt sleeve or it all begins with how you feel, I mean, that can be adjusted, but, but watch the pathway Watch how emotions can cloud observations. <coughs> Feelings distort facts instead of lift them up and eliminate faith. However, if you start with faith, faith will often clarify the facts and then free us from our feelings, both good and bad. Feelings aren't good or bad, but we have good and bad feelings. And depending on where that is, that's, that's where we can find ourselves. You might look, look at it this way. You may be, or you probably know someone, who is easily offended. Okay? And, and what is happening when someone is easily offended is that our feelings override what's going on. Jesus was quite clear of teaching those of us who are easily offended to pick up our cross and to follow him. Or in the world you will have tribulation. But how many times do we step over those verses? Can you believe what they told me? Can you believe how they treated me? Jesus was treated like this 24-7. And he said, wake up, church. This is where we're going to be. When faith is in the ascendance, it brings great clarity to who we can be and how we can work with the situations in our lives. The third response is too good to be true. Don't be alarmed, he said. This is the guy in the bathrobe, the angel, right? <laughs> you are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid them. Literal translation here for these ladies is, see the place where you laid him. Right? Remember the story. Good Friday. But go tell his disciples, and I love this, go tell his disciples and Peter. I mean, he is a disciple, but he's, he's now on the the outside edge of the group. Uh, you know, sometimes the leaders, sometimes the know-it-all, sometimes the say-it-all just is, is out there. And I, I, love, I love 
the, the way Mark just brings these little pieces. Tell the disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. At this point, it is very, very important to say what I'm now going to say. This part of the story, above all the gospel, is either an elaborate lie, a hoax, or it is the miracle of hope it purports to be. Right here, right now. So, so we're, we're not allowed the advantages of the, the Jesus who's a good teacher, but he may not be all of that if his essential teaching about who he is isn't who he is. This is incredibly important for the people of God because sometimes we get ourselves behind too good to be true. Sometimes the gospel, even as believers, doesn't really kind of line up and I'm not quite sure and that's all great and everything, but, but can I really do that? Sometimes God tasks us with things and on the, on the light and warmth of a, of a big day on a high hill we say, yes, Lord. But when we get into the demon-possessed valley, we say, I'm not so sure. It was great in church, but I got to work and I don't know. I know God told me to, 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 to go visit them and say this, but I, I just couldn't say it. You see, putting complication over simplicity draws some, some problems of which I want to I, I bring note to. So I'm going to show you three pictures. So let's look at picture number one. Okay, so this picture is a picture of what the parents thought their child was, their children was talking about when they said, do this, mom and dad. This, this is how they saw it. Picture number two. Now, this is how the, the contractors thought the parents wanted to build it for the kids, right? So, th th that's, that's where they went. Uh, and then picture number three, this is all the children asked for. <laughs> this is what they were looking for. And somehow, yet again, we complicate the process. Faith almost always has to do with just getting out there and doing what sounded so clear when the Holy Spirit told us to do it. And yet, we, we come up against these things where it becomes far too difficult. In fact, you may have even heard yourself say at some point of conviction between doing and not doing, don't confuse me with the facts. Can't you see I'm stuck? In fact, modern psychology would say a lot today and, and at this point reached the same place we are as Christians. The victim's stance often does not seek solution because it's just better to be the confused victim than to really get at the work of the solution. And so, being too good to be true, it, 
isn't the fullest response. It's, it's reminding us that we're close. But it's not only too good to be true, it is true. Which comes to our fourth response. Too compelling to be denied. When Jesus rose early on the first morning of the week, he appeared to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. And she went and, and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping when they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe her. This is critical to the story. Not because all the schmoes didn't get it. Because of what happens to Mary Magdalene when she's rejected for one holding the truth. For you see, there's no substitute to experience. There's no substitute to having that relationship that just cannot be denied. This is the power of Easter, to once again say, where is my relationship with God? Where is my relationship in Christ? Uh, do, have, I, have I allowed substitutes for my own personal experience with God to get in the way? Couldn't help but read this. Uh, all Mark says is that, you know, we, we go through this thing where Jesus meets Mary Magdalene on the way. And the Gospel of John gives us uh, the rest of the story. John 20, 14 through 16. I'll, I'll just read it for you. At this she turned and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? And again, just remembering the other responses. Uh, too sad, too confusing, um, too good to be true. I love this. Thinking Jesus was the gardener. Have you ever looked right in someone's face and there's someone you knew but you didn't expect them to be there and you didn't see them? See, that again, the state of our relationship and just where we might be in sadness or confusion or goodness, it's too, ah, I'm not going to bite, too good to be true. She sees the gardener. I wonder what the gardener looked like. I don't think that's what it's all about here, but it's, it's an interesting thought. Tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. In a way that no one had ever said to her, Mary, until she had met Jesus some three years ago when he cast out seven demons from her. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. This is Easter. All of a sudden, snapped free of, of the, the myriad of responses into the, the too compelling to be denied. It's true. This is life-changing. Yes, yes, yes. 
And with that power, goes into a room full of men and other women. Could have been as many as, as, as 120 that had come up with them from, from, uh, from Galilee. And says, I don't care what you say. I've seen him. I've been there. He's here. Just by way of application. Some of us. For, for whatever reason, can find ourselves into that place of, of too sad, too confusing, and, and, and carrying the weight of whatever it is in your heart that is too sad and too confusing doesn't mean there's not room for you. It means you just need to ask another question. Why is this? Why am I feeling this way? Why are the facts being distorted? Why are the facts distorting my faith? Too good to be true, too complicated. You might ask yourself this question, what's in my way right now? What's what's going on in my life right now? All the power of the resurrection needs in our lives is the fuel of faith over our theology and our opinions, our best intentions, the promises we keep making to ourselves into this relationship, into this space in our hearts and lives where we get so much of Jesus on us in a day-by-day interaction with Him, that we start to bear a resemblance of Him, and the resurrection life is is where we are. To be so surrounded and influenced and empowered by the things of Jesus that we start looking like Jesus instead of like gardeners. You see... Making that connection in our lives. I love the story that, uh, that, that's often told. It's a rabbinic story, but it, it, it fits here. You know, it's the completion of, of Judaism into Christianity. But the, the rabbi's task, in, or one of the rabbi's task, or one of the rabbis in the temple or the synagogue's task, was to, was to teach the you know, fifth and sixth grade boys class. You know, that's the one that uh, always gets signed up for least or last. Um, and uh, there was always a couple squirrels in the class that were trying to prove the rabbi wrong, right? And so one of the more brilliant students came to class one day with his hand like this. And he said to the rabbi, I have a young bird in my hand, and I'm not going to show it to you until you answer the question. And Rabbi, realizing that this, this, this could be, he's, he's on troubling ground here, you know. Uh, Got to have the right answer and be in the right place at the right time. And, and as he's holding that here, he says, Rabbi, I have a bird in my hand. Is it alive or is it dead? At which point the sharp Rabbi understood that if he says it's dead, he'll let the bird go free. If he says it's alive, he'll just crush it before he opens his hands. At which point, the rabbi took a deep breath.
class and said to him and all the rest of the students in the class, it is what you make it. Just like the resurrection of Jesus. It is what we make of this day, but not just Easter. It is what we make of every day. The the total supply and abundance of grace and wonder and power is available to us. We're in charge of the tap. And God says, it's there for the taking. It's what we make of this day and, and how we use it.